Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, June 15th. I'm your host, Jason Moser, and I'm joined today, of course, by the one, the only, Certified Financial Planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. It's a little rainy outside, but we had a really nice weekend. Hopefully, you guys did as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a nice weekend up here. It was good weather. Um, We officially entered Phase 2 here in in Virginia, Northern Virginia included there. So, you're starting to see some more businesses open back up, um, a little bit more activity. And, you know, it's been nice to see, too, I think... um, People still taking smart precautions up here. I mean, it is it is one of those things where we we can take the the precautions we can take. But it, I do notice where wherever we go, that they do seem to be a lot of people wearing uh, wearing masks and being thoughtful of trying to maintain distance. And and that's nice to see. I think we're going to be dealing with this for a little while. And um, you know, shutting down the economy like we once did isn't isn't really going to be an answer. I don't think going forward. So it's nice to see people being thoughtful about it. Um, I don't know how it is down there in South Carolina, but I'd imagine. Given that southern hospitality, everybody's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty okay with that too, right? Everybody looking out for each other down there. Yeah, well, our case numbers are going up a little bit, but I yeah. mean, that's that's to be expected. We're, I think, in like phase five or six of our reopening, so <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, it, it's you know, it's it's hopefully if it's a new plateau, it's okay. If it's a spike, then it's bad, and it kind of we don't know yeah. yet which it is. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to make full sense of it, but uh, you know, we just keep on. Do what we can do one day at a time, and we get a little bit closer to uh, putting this behind us at some point. Uh, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what we're here for, and that is the financials show, industry-focused financials today. And on today's financial show, we're going to dig into an article that you recently published, Matt. It's titled, Why Mark Cuban Compares Today's Market to the Dot-Com Bubble. And I, I thought this was interesting from a number of angles. And, you know, we were also very fortunate to have Mark Cuban recently um, join us for Fool Fest, right? The virtual Fool Fest that we had. Uh, we had Mark Cuban on there as an interview, and we, we actually had a, uh, we had a sort of an, editor, an editorialized uh, version of that interview posted on Motley Fool Money as the interview this week, a little bit of a, an abridged version. Um, but he, you know, he's an interesting guy from so many different, so many different perspectives, obviously very smart, a, a great entrepreneurial mind. And, and I enjoyed reading this article that you wrote, Matt. And I think that really uh, what struck me was just this idea that we're seeing this big surge into, J, into day trading. Um, and we'll get to that. But talk to us a little bit first about what Mark Cuban is seeing out there. This was from a different interview, but but this is an interview nonetheless where he's, he's comparing the, the the exuberance today to to the dot com era. Tell us a little bit about uh, what he's seeing. Well, for one thing, Mark Cuban does have a very unique perspective on the dot com bubble. Um, if you remember, yes. that's when he made his fortune. Um, he sold his <laughs> yeah. company Broadcast dot com to Yahoo in the at the height of the dot com bubble. Um, I think it was five point seven billion dollars they got for it. So yeah. he, he knows all about <laughs> what he's talking about. So what he said is that the recent boom in day trading and just kind of the easy money he sees being made really reminds him of kind of the euphoria in the market at the around the time of the dot-com bubble in the late 90s. And we all know how that turned out. So 
it's just yeah. become so easy for people to get involved in the stock market, especially. And I'm not talking down on Robinhood here. I, I think Robinhood <clears throat> is an excellent trading platform for those who use it correctly. Yeah. The, the problem is that platforms like Robinhood, and it's not the only one, but platforms like Robinhood and even Square's investment product is, is another one. Um, they're, they're designed to make it very, very easy for people to trade stocks, but not to invest in them. In other words, Robinhood yeah. doesn't give you access to educational tools the way like a TD Ameritrade would or, you know, stock research like like a, an E-Trade or Ameritrade would. So it, it's but it makes it very, very easy for free to just hit the button and trade stocks, even if you want fractional shares or things like that. So it's it's become very easy to trade stocks. We've seen big volatility, which is a trader's market. "Quote unquote," um, you know, like air, there was a time when airline <laughs> stocks were going up ten to twenty percent a day for for a couple of weeks. So there, yeah. there's definitely money to be made. I don't know if you've seen recently. There's a, a a high profile day trader who's a very recent day trader named Dave Portnoy. Um, yeah, I yeah. I actually made note recently. of him in, in my in my show notes. <laughs> yeah, he he. I made I made note of him in in the show notes here because that was that was one direction I wanted to take it. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, Davy Day Trader Global, I guess is what he's coined it. And, and I mean, listen, he, he's he's a funny guy. He's he's heads up Barstool Sports, I guess, or he's one of the guys that founded Barstool Sports. Um, but but you know, with 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 the with the sports industry basically shutting down, I mean, he's he's kind of taken this uh, approach to sort of an alter ego in this day in this Davy Day Trader, which it's funny. But by the same token, you know, there are going to be people. Who maybe don't have the experience investing, they're gonna they're gonna see what he's doing, and and think maybe there's something to it, and, and try to mimic what he's doing, and that's probably not that great of a of an idea from what I'm seeing. No, and he's saying things like, "I'm just printing money here." Um, you know, <laughs> losers take their profits, winners push all their chips to the middle. That is the most dangerous investing advice I've ever heard. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is. That's just the opposite of what we try to teach here. Right, and and we're not teaching. We're, we don't try to teach people to like you know take profits as soon as their stocks go up. But we also, you know, don't double down, don't invest more than you can afford to. People are investing on margin a lot, which is really where it gets dangerous. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, the day trading, it's happening in a lot of these really speculative stocks right now that you're just seeing these big up and down moves in every day. And it's, it's just, it's dangerous advice. And it's not what we want. It's not what we're about. It's not the, the way to make long-term money in you know, historic context, uh, day traders get, get killed and let, I mean, say for a few professionals actually working on wall street, day trading is usually a, not a profitable business. No, no. And I tell you, to your point there, I, I have noticed, um, you know, on, on networks like CNBC in particular, and I'm not trying to call them out, but I mean, the facts are the facts. I mean, they, they, they do have him on there a lot. And I, again, I know there's an entertainment angle to this. I get that. Um, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but by the same token, we have to remember there's a big audience out there and some people might not necessarily get that. And, and so you really do have to be careful of the message that you're communicating, you know, because even, even if that's not the intention, uh, sometimes it, it can have that effect. And, you know, in, in, in regard to day trading itself, you know, in the article that you wrote, there was a really good 
paragraph in there that where you, you laid it out in numbers. And I thought it would be great if you could go through that example for our listeners today, just, just to kind of make your point, put your point in numbers so that people can understand exactly where you're coming from in, into the, 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 you know, the, the, the trouble with day trading and why it's so hard to actually uh, sustainably do well in day trading. Sure. So think of it from a percentage point of view. And here's a kind of math problem I would pose to the listeners. Let's say that you own a stock and it goes down by 20%. So you sell to cut your loss. You say, I'll trade again tomorrow and, and try to make my money back. Tomorrow you buy another stock and that one goes up by 20%. Mm-hmm. You might think that you're back to even, but that's not the case. Mathematically, the percentages on losers hurt a lot more than the percentages on winners help you. For example, let's say you have $1,000. You lose 20% tomorrow. You're down to $800, right? Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, if your stock goes up by 20%, you buy it again. You know, you cut your losses at 800 buy it again. If that goes up 20%, now you're up to $960. you are still down by, by 40 bucks in that, in that simple example. Yeah. So the point being, when you lose money and cut your losses, then try to get back in the market and do this over and over again, the losses really outweigh the winners, even if your percentages are the same. You could you could lose 20%, make 20%, lose 20%, make 20%, do, repeat this process for weeks and go broke. So yeah. it, it's just, it's the, the mathematics aren't in your favor. It used to really not be in your favor when you were paying commissions. But even now, but a lot of people think, oh, well, it's free to trade. So now it's kind of a level playing field. And that's not the case. It's more of a level playing field for long-term investors. Because if you're a long-term investor, you don't care that your stocks are going up and down by 20% each day. It may be making exactly. for some interesting television, but yeah. it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with your long-term returns. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you, you mentioned how today, I mean, obviously we live in a commission-free world or essentially commission-free for the most part. And that's fine. That's good. We like that. Um, but I mean, when it comes to day trading, you're, you're still... Uh, subject to the taxes, right? I mean, on the on any of those gains, any of those winners, um, I, I mean, you're going to be subject to the tax man. And it, with day trading, when you're you're making many many transactions, I mean, that only that that tax bill adds up over time. And and so I I don't know that necessarily a lot of people actually consider that part of the equation either, because you know the difference between short term capital gains of long term capital gains that long term needs to be greater than a year. Hold it greater than a year and you're subject to long term, but a year or less and it's short term capital gains. Those short term capital gains are a lot higher. And uh, it, you know, if, if you are fortunate enough in, in a day trading uh, profession uh, to, to actually make money, you still got to pay a lot of that back in taxes. And if you don't do that, uh, obviously, they, they will come after you and they'll get that money. So it, it does seem like the deck is really stacked against you. You've got to get there are a lot of ifs that come into play when it comes to when it comes to day trading, and you got to get all of those ifs right. Whereas if we talk about taking the longer view, those ifs start to go away after a while. They become less and less relevant to us as, as longer term investors. Right, and when you consider that mathematical example I mentioned a minute ago, it didn't even include if you're trading on margin. That's yeah. where you really get into trouble. Yeah. Um, here, here, here's a quick math problem. Let's say you, um, you, you buy something with two-to-one leverage, meaning that you have $10,000 in your account and you spend $20,000 to buy a stock. And that means you owe an additional $10,000. What yeah. happens if your stock loses 50%? <laughs> you probably get a margin call. You go, you, well, yeah, you would probably get a margin call, but if you didn't, you'd go broke. 
you would yep. have zero. Yep. So margin really amplifies your losses to the point where they can literally devastate and destroy your entire trading account. So it absolutely can. A lot of people don't understand this, especially if margin comes very easy like it does on some of these apps where it doesn't even, you know, there, you, sh you should at least have some kind of disclaimer window that pops up says, hey, you're about to borrow $10,000 to invest. Are you sure you want to do this? But yeah. a lot of times it doesn't even do that, even even with the big brokerages. I, I mean, I use TD Ameritrade and I can, you know, hit, type in a stock order that's for more money than in my account. And it just it just does it. So yeah. it, it gets really dangerous. I I I feel like something needs to be done with the, the margin, especially to. Because, I, I mean, if you remember the crash of 29, that's that was a, a margin-fueled event. And I, I would actually go so far as to say this is more like the the, the roaring 20s than the than the dot-com bubble when it comes to people buying borrowing on margin and the trouble that can get you into. Yeah, that's really scary to think about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, just for context, I mean, I, I've been investing for a lot of years. And, I mean, I've been here at The Motley Fool for more than 10 years now. I, I don't even I never use margin. I never have used margin and I never will. I mean personally I don't need it. It doesn't it, it's not something I need to incorporate into my investing philosophy. Now if you're into options and shorting, then you're gonna need margin to be able to facilitate those transactions. But but you know, like there are costs that come with it and it takes a lot of control out of your hands. Um and I'm not going to say if you get something wrong. I'm going to say when you get something wrong. Because as investors, we know, you, you and I know, Matt, I mean, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? We don't, we're not batting a thousand as investors. No, no investor is. Right. And I mean, it's, it's really tough to, to make the case in favor of day trading. Just for all those reasons you said, I see a bunch of um, tax issues. Um, so you can, you can write off losses, but I, if the average trader, you know, moves in and out of stocks a thousand times in a year, how yeah. complicated does that make your tax situation? <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine. I can't even be, you know, and I've, I've made it before like a new year's resolution. I'm not the biggest new year's resolution guy, but, um, yeah, I think like a good new year's resolution is to, to enter a year and make the commitment to yourself that you're not going to sell any stocks. And it's actually, you know, it's actually not that difficult to do if you invest the way that we do. I mean, if you take that, that longer-term mentality and you, you focus on investing in the business itself and not the stock, uh, the more investments like that you get in your portfolio, the less really selling comes into play. And you actually could make it through a year without selling at all. Um, now, you know, one, one factoid I did, I did see before I get to the question here, I did just back in, in regard to Dave Portnoy and, and, and um, the impact maybe he has had on on the audience here uh, in, in the investing community. And, and I just noticed, but but Penn Nation Gaming, which is one of the companies, that's the company that took a big stake in Barstool Sports recently, um, if for those who, who don't know. Um, Penn National Gaming stock is up 184% since March 23rd. I, I wonder how much of that is just like Barstool and, and, and Portnoy fans who are just kind of jumping into the mix there and, and, and buying uh, you know, pushing a little bit of that about valuation up. I mean, I, I you know, we, we've certainly seen, I think, uh, casino stocks, gambling-related stocks, they really took a big hit when the bear market uh, really, really uh, dug into us. And so those, those, those companies, those businesses, certainly, so they've recovered a little bit here since, um, you know, we've started to come out of, of hibernation here and, and we're opening things back up. But I, I still feel like maybe there's a connection there. Uh, so we got an interesting comment and question from someone on Twitter from this article that you wrote, Matt. And, and I want to read this in full because, I, you know, this is something, I mean, don't shoot the messenger here. I mean, this is, this is just what the question that was, that was posed uh, from your article. 
And it said, I don't understand. Is the stock market only for the select few? I see all these rich, mainly quote-unquote white folks singing doom and gloom of quote-unquote Robin Hood investors. This is just entitlement talking. The market is big enough for all. Why is app investing being vilified? If the digital revolution is great for the new stay-at-home economy, why should digital investing be bad? And Matt, I'm going to let you answer this, but I actually think he answered his own question in the in the he answered his own question in the way he worded this. Right. And and this is a it's not an uncommon thing for people to think. And to be fair, I mean Mark Cuban is a rich white guy. <laughs> True. So, uh, but the the point he makes is he's using the words trading and investing interchangeably. Exactly. Which is, which is I think what you're getting at. Yep, I have it. no problem with Robinhood investors. My brother uses Robinhood to invest in stocks, and it's a great way for people who have you know, not a ton of money, first of all, or not a ton of experience to invest in stocks. I mean, he was able to buy – he was able to invest in Amazon for 20 bucks. Nice. Um, so, which, I mean, you, you know, and a share of Amazon is, what, $2,500 or something? Something like that, so yeah. So, it, it's a great tool for investors. Investors are people who don't plan on selling their stocks for at least three to five years is, is how we've generally defined it at the, at the full. So trading is what Mark Cuban has a problem with. This, the moving in and out of stock positions. Um, I mean, I have a friend who's, you know, does the Dave Portnoy type, type stuff right now. Um, he's, he's been out of work. He has nothing else to do. So that's, which is a lot of the reason people are so into this. You know, casinos are closed. You yep. There's no um, fantasy football to bet on or anything like that. So mm. he's asked me, he said, what's a good stock to invest in? So I named a, a couple of my, my favorite companies. And he bought them. He said, oh, and then he called me a few days later. Oh, they went up 20%. I sold them. What should I buy now? And I said, no, you're missing the point. I'm telling you to invest, buy these, use them to send your kids to college eventually. And you're moving <laughs> in and out every day. So the one, one group is fine, regardless of the platform. No one especially on our end, nobody's vilifying Robinhood or app-based trading as an investment strategy, but as a day trading strategy or moving in and out without really knowing what you're doing. If you're doing a form of gambling on there, that's what we're vilifying. That, yeah. that, that's what Mark Cuban and, and a lot of the, the billionaires you see talking on TV, because he's not the only one, a lot of these billionaires are, are vilifying day trading because that's where people really get into trouble. Warren Buffett has has spoken out against trading many times. So it's just, it's not a, a great strategy to make money long-term if, unless yeah. you're, unless you're a highly trained professional working at, you know, Goldman Sachs or something. Yeah. And I think that, that really is, I think what I, uh, what I try to explain to people who ask me that question and it's anybody can flip a coin, right. And get it right. It's just a matter of, we're talking about sustainable long-term success. And, and it's, it's very difficult to, to day trade and, and to get it right, to, to, to be able to do that on a sustainable basis to do well. And, and that's, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, the math is there, the, the examples are all there. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, again, I mean, we going back to, to Davy day trader global. I mean, I, I think it's, fun. I think it's funny. I see the entertainment value in there. I like Dave Portnoy and Barstool. I mean, I, we just encourage folks out there to try to take this for what it is too, right? I think he knows he's being entertaining. Uh, you know, don't, don't necessarily think that, uh, 
you know, it's just that easy to go in there and start day trading and make a bunch of money because uh, clearly, clearly the deck is stacked against you. Big difference between trading and investing, and, and I think that uh, I think that you did a good job of explaining that there, Matt. And, and, I'll, um, and, I'll, okay. and I'll, I'll, I'll share another uh, another little trade secret here. Most of the people yeah. you see pitching day trading systems or selling day trading books make more money from selling books in the systems than they do from day trading. <laughs> That's a that's yeah. just a little secret I want to share with everybody. Yep, that's a good point. That's a very good <laughs> point. That's where the real money's at. Well, let's take a look here at a question. We got an email from a listener. We'll get uh we'll get away from the trading versus investing discussion here and talk a little bit about something that is certainly right up your alley, Matt. And this is in regard to REITs, real estate investment trusts. We talk about those uh, a lot recently, and we have an email from Rohit. Rohit asks, "Hey fools, love the show as always." Jason, you recently had Matt Frankel on discussing real estate. Interested in your thoughts on exposure to REITs in a retirement account slash 403B. Typical total market mutual funds seem to have 2 to 4% holdings exposed towards REITs, uh, as far as I can tell. Is it worth having additional exposure? Uh, Matt, you're the REIT guy. What do you think? Well, so what he means by 2 to 4% exposure is that, let's say you buy an S&P 500 index fund, there are REITs in the S&P 500. I know uh, Simon Property Group, we've mentioned, is one of them. Um, you know, A lot of the larger REITs, American Tower, I'm not 100% sure, is in the S&P 500. Um, <laughs> so you get some exposure. I don't know the exact percentage of the S&P 500 that's REITs, but 2 to 4% sounds reasonable. Yeah. So that's what he means by you're getting some exposure if you just buy normal index funds. Exactly. Um, I'm the REIT guy, so maybe I'm a little biased here. <laughs> I... Yes, it can help to get some other exposure because real estate tends not to move with the overall stock market. So it tends to go up over time. Um, if you look at long-term returns for REITs, they're right around 10%, just like the stock market's long-term returns. But they tend to move differently in times of crisis. Obviously, this last crisis was a real estate-specific one. You know, it, it affected businesses people have to go to, so REITs got really beaten down. But if you look at other crises throughout history, real estate tends to outperform the market when you know non-real estate specific problems happen. Um, yeah. Even if you look during the 2008-2009 financial crisis, which was kind of caused by real estate, I mean, REITs outperformed the stock market. So it's a nice little, it's a way to vary your short-term returns without really affecting your long-term returns. It's, a, it's one of the things I love about investing in real estate through, through REITs. Um, so... If your 401k, 403b, whatever your retirement plan is, offers a REIT index fund, it's more of a stock investment. So don't think you're sacrificing growth to get it, which is a, a lot of people's kind of limiting factor. A lot of people think of it more like a fixed income because they pay so, such high dividends. So it's part of your stock allocation, but it's a nice little you know diversifier away from just you know S&P 500 and small cap funds and mid cap funds and things like that. It kind of it's it's a it's a way to diversify your stock holdings and dur during crises times will help you you know sleep a little bit better hopefully not not this <laughs> not this particular one. <laughs> well, that's good good feedback there and Rohit, I, th I hope that was helpful. Um, thanks for the question and and Matt, let's go ahead and wrap this week up. Let's talk about our ones to watch. What is the stock you're watching this coming week? I am watching one of my favorite REITs. Speaking of REITs, uh, it's called EPR Properties. Ticker symbol is EPR. Um, it's one that I've talked about a few times on the show. They are an experiential real estate company. So yeah. they invest in things like movie theaters. Um, Topgolf is one of their <laughs> biggest tenants. 
They have water parks, ski resorts. Um, I know um, Vale, Res vale Resorts, uh, the, the ski company, is a big tenant of theirs. Oh, wow. Uh, so obviously that experiential properties when no one's allowed to go out and have experiences like they, they, like has been the case this year has <laughs> yeah. been a terrible business. Yeah. But we're seeing things open up quickly. Um, their CEO just said in a recent presentation that Topgolf's actually getting a year-over-year -year rise in traffic as they reopen. Nice. I mean, obviously not in the ones that are still closed, but in the ones that are open, and they're, they're, the results have been good. Um, AMC recently announced it plans to open all of its movie theaters by the end of July, which is a lot earlier than people were expecting. Um, and pretty much every government official, with maybe the exception of the governor of New York, Cuomo, has come on and said, we're not going to shut things down again. Even if there's yeah. a rise in cases, there are ways to deal with it without shutting it down. That's kind of a non-starter. So yeah. if you're of my opinion that the risk that we actually get another wave of shutdowns is low, EPR properties could be a good way to play the reopening. Ah, that's good. I like that. Familiar with that. You and I have talked about that one before. I like that idea. Um, I'm going to take a look here more at uh, Shift4 Payments, ticker is F-O-U-R, and this is a recent IPO. As a matter of fact, I think the team on Friday, Dylan and Brian may have covered it uh, going through the S1 there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but but Shift4 Payments, they develop and provide point-of-sale systems for businesses in the in the U.S. and known for their Harbor Touch POS system, big focus on retails and re retail and restaurants. And uh, it seems to be something very similar uh, to Square or even PayPal since they made that iZettle acquisition. So, I, you know, I, I'm not really sure exactly what separates Shift4 from the others. But, I mean, it's a obviously a very big world, a big market, and a lot of market out there to capture. So, you know, I'm going to be digging into Shift 4 and see what they're made of this coming week. Uh, but, Matt, I think that's going to do it for us this week. I do appreciate you jumping back on here with us and, uh, you know, giving us, giving us the rundown on that article and, and uh, talking to our listeners more about the, the, the troubles with day trading. Hopefully, hopefully you've, you've talked some people off the ledge out there and, and people just think, hey, I'm going to stick with investing, no day trading for me. Well, next time I'll go to a place with better internet, but um, it was always it's always fun to join you guys. Ah, only can control so much, right? But that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks this week. To our guy Kyle Carruthers coming in there on the, on the uh, you know helping Austin Morgan out there in a pinch. Kyle Carruthers putting the pieces together for us this week. Thanks, Kyle. For Matt Frankel and Jason Moser, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.